Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, your weekly reminder that humans are capable of incredible things, like shooting lots of fascists or whatever. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. With me today is the one and only, but possibly not the only, there might be other people with his name, but none of them are as good, James Stout. Hi, James. Hi. Hi, and uh, yeah, fuck all the other James Stouts. They're yeah. actually very nice. I, I uh, In the early days of social media, I added all the James Stouts on Facebook. <laughs> one of them has been kindly donating to like mutual aid work I've done for over, like, I don't know, 15 years. <laughs> Seems like a really nice dude. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, well... <laughs> There's an almost as good James Stout, and if you're listening, yeah. good on you. Yeah, hi at the James Stout. James is probably most familiar, of course, to listeners as a maker of sourdough bread. But in addition to that, he is a journalist, mostly for the podcast It Could Happen Here. Yeah, that's right. Our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. The only Sophie. That's true. You don't even need a last name. Mm-hmm. No. If you were in this story, you would be El Sophie. There we go. Yeah. I guess he might be lost, Sophie. Yeah, I was going to say, I, sure. I was going to say, uh, sure. Yeah, up to you. Our audio engineer is Ian. Hi, Ian. Everyone has to say hi to Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. Everyone in the audience who's listening, walking down the street with your headphones in, got to say hi to Ian. Oh, man, I hope somebody's walking by the actual Ian and does that. That would be yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. Ian, Ian, if that actually happens to you, will yeah. you please tell us? Yeah. Yeah, if you see Ian at the shop or the gym, just greet him. Don't be weird about it. Just say hi, Ian, turn, yeah. walk away. Because he's yeah. probably got shit to do. Yeah, exactly. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. So this week, I promise you dead fascists right up at the top. Uh, you're going to get dead fascists. But not just before or during World War II. Because fascism continued for decades in Europe after the end of the war. In Spain. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real long time. Yeah, yeah. I also, promised, I also promised James uh, that a plumber and his brother 
we're going to be off on a quest fighting evil. And that part's yeah. true also. Yeah. So, there's an awful lot of people who are firmly dedicated to stopping fascism in Spain, even though the great world leaders were no longer behind them, right? It was easier to be an anti-fascist when the US and the UK were like, here's a bunch of guns, please go kill the fascists, you know? Yeah. Even then, they they, they were very, very uh, pretty tight with the guns uh, in the uh, 1936 to 1939 era. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah much We'll talk some about that. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about a band of brothers, if you will. Three brothers. Mostly, we're going to talk about one of them. I'm waiting to see when James is going to figure <laughs> yeah, out what we're talking okay. about. Yeah. A plumber by trade who spent decades robbing and murdering fascists, raising guerrilla bands, and fighting for liberation, trade unionism, and anarchist syndicalism. Because today, we're going to talk about the Sabate brothers. Oh, um, hell yeah. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good... Especially, we're going to talk yeah. about Francisco Sabate. Uh, also better known during his life as El Kiko. Yeah. So you, you've yeah. heard of the Sabate brothers? Yeah, I have. I, I, this is not an area in which I have, like, most, like, resistant to Francoism stuff I'm not as good on. Uh, mm -hmm. I do, like, I'm reading Abel Pass's book about Deruti at the moment, mm -hmm. um, which everyone should read, but one of the most, like, you know, they do that, like, about the author section at the front. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the Abel Pass one is, like, a... Uh, Abel Paz, like, uh, you know, was an anarchist in Spain and, and then, like, spent decades in jail after trying to assassinate a Francoist. <laughs> like, and, 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 yeah. like, it's, it's, it's the best thing ever. And I was just, like, uh, recently reading about his personal history. There's a lot of anarchist historians who absolutely put me to shame. Yeah. Yeah, I feel <sighs> like I've really let, uh, let everyone down in that regard. Yeah. I... Mm -hmm. I at some point, I should just do an overview of anarchist historians who've like yeah. tried to kill Franco. Because um, there's at least two off the top of my head. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely <laughs> Stuart there's Christie definitely and Abel yeah. Paz. Yeah, yeah. Stuart Christie was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's more than that. There were a few. Uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to be like the last generation of historians who got to do history with the people who had spent their formative years trying to blow up fascists. Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll never happen again. Totally, the 20th century doesn't just, 21st century doesn't look like a repeat no, yeah. of the 20th, only <laughs> yeah, with all yeah, the stakes yeah. higher. Yeah. No, these 20s will be different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. In the 30s, woo, way better. Woo. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be cool. All right. So, the Sabate family. Yeah. Uh, who I first heard about because my friend, uh, shout out to my friend whose cat is named uh, Sabate. <laughs> Based. Yeah. Yeah. So they were born in a sleepy town whose name I have spent the last five minutes trying to pronounce. James, can you? <laughs> yeah, I think it's Hospitalet de Llobregat. Yeah. I even, in my mind, I can pronounce okay Spanish and not much Catalan. But anyway, so they're from the sleepy town, which is not actually a sleepy town at all. It was a decent-sized city outside of Barcelona and Catalonia, which is a region in Spain that does not want to be a region in Spain. In this town... There was a cop and a housewife living together with their kids, Manuel Sabate and Madrona Yopart. Manuel Sabate worked for the Guardia Urbana de Barcelona, de Barcelona, which was under control of the mayor. You don't have to. Th that's a that's a Castilianism. Ah. So, when you, so you see that that's when Americans do the Barcelona thing. They're actually wrong because no, uh, no, that's great to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a pretentious and, and be incorrect. So you can uh, great. Everyone can yell at me about that, but I learned, just like you all learned. That is great. Yeah, I, 
Barcelona is the only city in Spain I've spent any time in. And I was like, I know a little bit of Spanish. And people were like, that doesn't matter. We don't speak Spanish here. And I was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. well, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a lovely city. People will be nice to you. Actually, yeah, people kind of were actually. It was, it was actually very nice. Yeah. Anyway. Long. Go ahead. The Guardia Urbana was under control. The mayor, they used to back in the day, they went around with, this, this is like, the cops would go around with a saber, a pistol, and a rifle. Until 1909, when the, quote, tragic week happened, which we talked about this in our episode about Francisco Ferrer and the modern school movement. Um, basically, there was a general strike, anarchists, uh, cops murdered a ton of people. In the end, the cops were demilitarized, so they were allowed to keep their guns, but no more sword and rifle, uh, which America could probably learn a lesson from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the swords that they've been doing it with. yeah. Maybe just a sword. Like, I'd be okay with that, I think. You know, it'd be progress. Yeah, yeah, it would be, be a step. What if everyone else gets, like, a, a, a pole arm? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, everyone else gets guns. Second okay, yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because yeah. the, the cops are very brave, so they would yeah. be fine with swords. It's a big thing about them is, is bravery. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And shooting people in the back, which is hard to do with a sword. Mm-hmm. So, the father of our protagonists is a cop. Manuel Sabate. They had five kids, four boys and a girl. Three of the boys are the people we're going to talk about today, and the remaining two, I don't know anything about, unfortunately. The oldest son was Jose Sabate Iopart in Catalan naming, I guess, the patrilineal family name, and the matrilineal family name are both part of the name, which is cool, frankly. Yeah. It's just cool. He was born in 1910, and he's going to weave in and out of the story, the older brother, Jose. Next is Francisco Sabate Iopart who was born in 1915, and he is our main protagonist today. He also went by the traditional Catalan nicknames for Francisco, which at first I was like, man, there's so many nicknames for Francisco. But then as I've got further and further into the story, I realized that everybody in this story is named Jose or Francisco. So it makes (laughs) sense that they have a lot of nicknames. Yeah. Like the reason there's a million nicknames for Margaret. He was Cisco or Sisquet, or as he became famous as shit under, he was El Kiko. I have asked around and gotten a Catalan anarchist telling me it's basically just another nickname for Francisco, but it's also a little bit of wordplay maybe because Kiko means kid in Catalan, which makes him a badass Robin Hood with the name The Kid, Yeah, which is cool. But I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I like it. People do enjoy wordplay, especially if you're going for like a a pseudonym to do crime under. Yeah. Uh, I think it's good to to do a bit of wordplay in there. Yeah. Sometimes it gets translated as guy also, like the guy. Hey, I'm the guy. <laughs> yeah, the, the dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. It's like, it's just the dude. Yeah, yeah. It's going to go they, on a fucking Robbie's Yeah, yeah they, they took different approaches to life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so those are two of the brothers, and we have one final brother who comes into the story. He was born way the fuck later. He's born in 1927, which for anyone who's paying attention, there's going to be a big war in 1936 and 1939. And so Manuel Sabate Iopart, the I don't think they say the second, but you know, he's also named Manuel, was born in 1927. And he's gonna come in and out. El Kiko is our point of view character. So we're gonna trace his life. As a kid, he was uh, willful. When he was seven, he was sent to a send your bad kids to this place kind of school, which was the Duran school run by friars. So it was a Catholic school. It actually just churned out radicals. 
not because the friars were cool, uh, very specifically the opposite of this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> they traumatized kids into radicalism. Yes, exactly. The kids taught themselves to be cool and learned a lot of lessons about how shitty authority is because they kept getting beaten by the friars all the time. Also didn't really like cement any love for the Catholic faith or church. Mm-hmm. So El Kiko, sometime between the time he's seven and ten, he's not even ten when he pulls off his first prison break. He used, quote, an improvised rope, I like to imagine bedsheets, and a tree to scale the wall and escape back to his parents. And he basically shows up and he's like, don't fucking send me back. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And his parents are like, all right, fine. We're not going to send you back. And I don't know a ton about his family. The only thing I know is that before the Civil War and all this other shit, um, their father retires and is no longer a cop. So it's, at least it's not like he's not like fighting against his own kids at any point. Yeah. Uh, someone else who went to this particular school, the Durand School, was later became the general secretary of the CNT, the anarchist union that did so much during the Spanish Civil War. And the ex-students of this place, they liked it so much that during the Spanish Civil War, they burned it to the <laughs> ground and it was never yeah. rebuilt. <laughs> uh, outstanding. Good. Uh, yeah. Much yeah. that we can learn from these young people. Yeah. <laughs> so El Kiko, he went off and became an apprentice plumber when he was 10. This was not in any way abnormal. Um a working class kid to go off and apprentice at 10. There was not a lot of educational system available to the working class. Except that when he was 15 or 16, he signed up for the CNT, the Anarchist Union, which his biographer Antonio Tellez says he remained faithful to for the rest of his life, quote, in spirit, if not in discipline. (laughs) Because... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the CNT went through some moments in the 20s and 30s with its sort of like... Splits between, I believe the CNT are the ones who are responsible for the red and black flag with the distinction between anarchism and anarcho-syndicalism. I knew more about this somewhat recently. Oh, no, 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 never mind. I knew more about the black flag. I didn't know as much about the red and black. That would make a lot of sense to me. Because you have like the hardcore anarchists and and, hardcore is the wrong word. Yeah. Uh, But we had the Phi who were committed to like a more pure form of anarchism. Yeah. Again, pure is the wrong word, right? Right. Well, the FII, the FI, were, they were yeah. like, this is about anarchism. And the rest of the anarcho syndicalists were like, sure, whatever, whatever gets us there. Yeah, yeah. That's my. And they, there was some specific, like, there was this manifesto at one point and these specific distinctions, which I think it's not worth like, yeah. getting into. But yeah. Yeah. They're the more hardcore. And of course, uh, El Kiko is going to end up one of them soon enough. Around this time, 1931, Spain becomes a republic. Uh, we talk about this way more in the Spanish Civil War episodes from last summer. Um, this was a step in the right direction, but one of the first things that the New Republic did, the New Republic did, was they literally mortared an anarchist bar called Casa de Cornelio. Yep. On July twenty third, quote, three artillery pieces fired twenty two high explosive shells into the old bar, reducing it to ruins, because anarchists met there. Yeah. Um, which is cool because these anarchists are. A huge reason as to why there ever became a republic as far as I can tell in the first place. <laughs> anyway, anarcho-syndicalists in 1932 in the Pyrenees declared anarchist communism. Basically, like, no one's putting up with this shit. Like, yeah. Spain is ready to go. Um, some anarcho-syndicalists in 1932 declared anarchist communism. They abolished private property. For anyone who's listening, we've probably gone over this before, but private property doesn't mean your toothbrush or even your house. It means, like, larger scale things that someone owns and then leverages like landlording or owning a factory or whatever. Anyway, this P- 
people are fucking starving, right? And they're like, well, we want anarchist communism instead of to die, which is a, I mean, makes a lot of sense to me. The Republic crushed the rebellion. They started cracking down super hard. They deported a ton of anarchists to South America. They started passing a law that lets you murder anyone who runs from the cops, basically, which is funny because yeah. it's like this big deal. It keeps coming up over and over again in Spanish history. They're like, um, Ley de Fuga, I think. Ley de, fu- Ley de Fugas, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, the cops were allowed to sh- shoot people who ran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to include people who they like released and were like, run! <laughs> and yeah, then okay, shot. that's true. Yeah. It is a step further. Yeah, that yeah, is true. Yeah, it, they did that, that was how it was implemented on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Catalonia didn't actually just give up. Instead, they kept rebelling. And the CNT FAI flag flew over a city hall, so the state arrested and executed 42 people. And it was during this time that our anarchist plumber hero, the kid, uh, I wish it was in Italy so I could just call him Mario, but I can't. He started really throwing down. The peasants in his town were on strike because they had no food. So El Kiko, he's like 16 or 17, him and a friend just find one of the big landlords who's starving everyone, take all of his money by putting a gun in his face, and give the money to the strike committee to get distributed to the families who need it the most. And this more or less sets his expectations for how to engage in struggle for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, that's how it's done. Yeah, for 30 more years or so. Yeah. This is what this man does. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, again, like I'm going back to that Paz book, like the shit that these people got up to is just like, uh, there's, there's this one sentence paragraph in the Paz book, which is still my favorite sentence yeah. that's ever been written, which is, Deruti had a great fondness to children, which is why he risked his life robbing banks to fund their education. Yeah. And like, <laughs> they traveled all over, like, he like goes to Cuba, goes to Mexico. Like, I think, like, Deruti in Cuba tried to organize cane planters, and the cane planters, uh, like, mm-hmm. The, the cops tried to crack down on him, so he burnt down the house of the king and murdered two people <laughs> and was like, uh, I have to leave Cuba and never come back. Like, yeah, Dirty went a lot of places in exactly that uh, fashion. Did, um, just uh, shenanigans are outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uprisings are going in both directions, unfortunately, during this mm-hmm. time. The workers are like, let's have anarchist communism and take care of each other. And the right-wing military is like, let's have a dictatorship. Um, so mm-hmm. with the Republican here in the middle being like, well, both sides have valid points. <laughs> yeah, the Catalan Republicans did their own little uprising as well. And uh, okay. the anarchists stayed out and the uh, military showed up and uh, yeah, pretty much hosed them in the streets. Yeah. Uh, lots of people died during protests and struggles. Um, apparently, the anarchists kind of saved the Republic along the way by stopping a military coup in Seville. Yeah, and the like end. a number... Yeah, and again in 1936, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, we'll get to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this kind of tragic story, and they yeah. could have the like, the Catalans would have been successful in October 1934 if the anarchists had not been like, nah, dog. Like, you guys haven't been there for us. <laughs> We're not going to be there for you. <laughs> yeah, which I, I I'll put that one on the Republic. For, yeah, yeah, that is squarely for, on them for shooting us a lot. Yeah. Okay, have you heard about this? This leftist Ruby Ridge, this anarchist Ruby Ridge that happened in 1933? Casas Viejas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Seis is the guy, right? Like six Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Great book, Anarchist of Casas Viejas. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I only, this, uh, I found like, this is like really briefly mentioned in the biography I, I read. And so then I looked up a couple other things about it too, but I haven't. 
the the version of it I have, and please fill in any details mm-hmm. um, or any overall things that you think are missing. So there's a 70 year old anarchist named Seisdedos, Six Fingers, yeah. and he he barricades himself inside of a farmhouse because the cops wanted to arrest them for having a protest where some cops had been injured. And when I say protest, they were trying to have a revolution, right? Yeah. And some cops got injured. And so a lot of people flee town and a bunch of anarchists go hide in uh, Seisdedos' house. So the Republic bombs the building or sets fire to it, depending on which source I read. Yeah. And killed 24 people. Uh, one source was like, killed the 24 people who were holed up inside the house. And one source says, after they killed a bunch of people inside the house, they went around and they found everyone in town who owned a gun and then murdered them. Yeah. Which really does make it the anarchist Ruby Ridge. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, that's what the uh, the NRA have been freaking out about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only one... Only one anarchist is known to have survived this, uh, survived the farmhouse. She was an 18-year-old named uh, Maria Silva, Silva Cruz. And she walked out with a child in her arms and was like, please don't murder us. Um, and uh, so she wasn't murdered by the state until three years later when she was <laughs> murdered by the fascist state yeah. by, for being an anarchist during the Spanish Civil War yeah. three years later. The whole incident, the farmhouse incident, was a major part of the left in Spain being like, you know what, fuck the government. Kind of the thing that yeah. you're talking about here, where they're like, we, we're not on your side. You you ruby ridged us, and that's not even a thing yet. Yeah, yeah, the proto-ruby ridge. Um, only they were fighting for freedom for all people instead of white supremacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were guilty of, uh, yeah, what was the other guy? He cut down a shotgun barrel, right? And, yeah. And, and, yeah. and hung out with terrible pupils. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the fire story is the one I've heard that they've set it on fire and then machine gunned anyone who tried to run out. Yeah, that that makes sense. Cool. But you know what machine guns down prices? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it, uh, is it uh, ch 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 chumba or some Ronald Reagan, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I feel like we don't say enough. Like we do have the Ronald Reagan coin adverts, but we're also glad he's dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, unless you're listening to this on coolers on oh. media mm-hmm. where yeah, there are yeah. no ads, then no, you just got to hear that fun ad pivot and no ads. Win win, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got reminded that Ronald Reagan is dead, so you still had a good day. Yeah. You're welcome, mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher too. Fucking death comes for us all. <laughs> yeah. Soon there's going to be one Margaret. No, that's not true. My mom's name is Margaret. (laughs) And my aunt. You're still best Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some ads. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And now, back to the regular show, while the people who hate listen are trying to dox me by using the fact that everyone in my family is named Margaret. (laughs) Do you think they got that far? Do they get this deep? The hate listeners. That's one of the things that's so nice about podcasting is I feel like people don't hate listen to podcasts yeah. as much as they like hate hit control F to find out if you said something that annoys them on a you know article. Remember yeah. like remember like when Twitter start first came out with that button where it's like maybe you want to read the article instead of just retweeting it. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't really apply to podcasting. <laughs> Yeah. So, the two Sabate brothers, the older brother Jose, who's an old man now, he's 22, and El Kiko, they and some others form uh, Los Novatos, which, it means the rookies or the apprentices, yeah. um, but it also sort of means the new, or as Google wants to suggest, yeah. the newbies. <laughs> I love that, yes, the noobs. So that's what we're going to use, they're the noobs, okay. because it's the funniest. Yeah. yeah. They form an action group. This is like a thing that is a big part of a lot of anarchist resistance throughout time is action groups or essentially affinity groups. So people get together and are like, well, we have shared values and want to get some shit done. So they form the noobs um, and they immediately throw themselves into the struggle. They join some of these uprisings. They keep trying to declare co- anarchist communism. They're in the FIA, FAI, the FI, mm-hmm. which is the more anarchist core of the larger anarcho-syndicalist union, the CNT. And they are training in the woods about how to fight and blow shit up. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's a way. Yeah. 
And their first gunfight is actually when the cops try and break that up. They, they get away. I think yeah. no one's hurt on either side. But. Yeah. A lot of these gunfights just seem mm-hmm. to be like, uh, like like a paintball tier kind of engagement where people just shoot at each other and no one gets hurt. Which, I mean, is kind of a like, don't come any closer thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of people with really shit weapons firing at each other from a really long way yeah. away. Yeah, was whenever like some of the first pieces I ever did were about like the 19th century um, nihilists who kept trying to kill the czar, and all of them were bad shots. And I kept thinking to myself, by the time the 1930s roll around, anarchists are not bad shots anymore. Yeah, they've been practicing. Yeah, they've some of these the, the Sabate brothers in particular pull off some ridiculous shooting at various points, but not during this particular engagement. So. In 1933, more villages declare for anarchist communism. The noobs show up. They throw down. The revolt is crushed. The CNT leadership gets all arrested. This happens so many times during this story is all of the CNT leadership get arrested or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is one of the cool things about anarchism is, I mean, it sucks, but if you can arrest all our leaders, this kind of doesn't totally matter. Yeah, they had a big thing. It's really interesting to like... uh uh listen to speeches of that time because it's even distinct from like the anarchism we talk mm-hmm. about today and when like uh there'll be like because mm-hmm. other anarchists would come to look at the spanish anarchists and they'd be like that was a really good speech like you had a real banger why didn't everyone clap and then they'd be like well we don't want to engage in leaderism here and so by pay- by being here and paying attention they're showing their support <laughs> <laughs> damn yeah but sure, it has to be because these people knew that they would spend like 50% of their lives in prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Or just die the next day. Yeah, yeah. They were being killed a lot too. Yeah. El Kiko got arrested for the first, his first time, uh, just hanging out outside of an anarchist bar. But the charges didn't stick. Three days later, he was out. In 1934, the noobs ran around and they gathered up all the guns that were abandoned by retreating soldiers during a nationalist uprising. Like standing. Yeah. yeah, this is the this is what I this is what I was talking to you about. This was the uh the when the Catalan Republicans Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I'm guessing that's No, that the, that makes the most sense. Yeah, I was like mm-hmm. reading this and I'm like man, <laughs> there's so much that happened during these like 6 years that like anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's why they said they'd never cemented down the uh, cobblestone to Barcelona because people were always just pulling them up to make barricades again. Yeah. And Stockpiling all these guns does them a lot of good because these are some of the guns that they use to stop a fascist coup a few years later. Mm-hmm. In 1935, El Kiko meets the woman he will marry, Leonor Castellas Marti, um, who, frustratingly enough, is only mentioned occasionally in the biography that I read. But as far as I can tell, he seems good to her, trusts her, involves her in his life uh, better than some of the historical anarchist men that I've read about. Um Frankly, I think that the person who wrote the biography, Sabate, um, does not think incredibly highly of women. And I had to do a lot of research to fill in the gaps in the history where women did things. It's disappointing. Spanish anarchists have generally been much better in gender terms. No, totally. I was was talking about this with someone earlier today. Mm. And and we're talking about how, like, you know, you got to kind of grade on a curve when you talk about, like, feminism and history. But anarchists in Spain were ahead of that curve overall yeah. in the 1930s and 40s mm. well 30s mostly um in 1940s they're mostly dead or in france as we'll yeah. talk about or mexico yeah fair enough and so then it's like particularly annoying that this biography is like not including yeah. a lot of the women 
super disappointing. Like even uh, like I know at points mm. in his life, Daruti was a house husband because his his partner oh. uh, earned more than him. Yeah, so he stayed stayed home and looked after the kids. Like yeah, and of course, women for in the anarchist militia at least initially, and mm-hmm. they had they lots of them rejected marriage. Even like Republican Catalonia had uh, the right to abortion and and yeah. divorce. Like yeah, which was relatively unusual at the time. Yeah, and then. Uh, yeah. Um, good. Yeah, and then good feminism, and then and then fascism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bad history, I guess. And speaking of fascism, on July eighteenth, nineteen thirty-six, Spain had a civil war. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to James tell me about this particular part of it. And Jose and El Kiko are like, "All right, sign me up. Let's go. Let's go fucking <laughs> fight the fascists." Only actually, the noobs started working a couple days ahead of time. Because anti-fascist <laughs> intelligence, I think, is sometimes better than state intelligence at tracking fascists. Yeah. The anarchists in Barcelona knew that this was, ha- this was happening. So a few days before, the Sabate brothers, um, Sabate brothers and others just went around and raided fascist houses and stole all their guns and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which rules, thanks for the loot box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um, all the German anarchists who had been exiled living in Barcelona were uh-huh. like, yo, there are some Nazis in that house and I guarantee they have a shit ton of guns and they found a shit ton of guns. They got like a big machine gun that they put in the back of a truck and proceeded to use as like a technical and by the time the actual coup started. Which is a thing we're thinking about when we think about how disproportionately armed the right and the left are in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mark loot boxes. Yeah. So... The fascists staged a coup anyhow, or they tried. The fascist Franco invaded his own country. In Barcelona, anarchists and the cops stopped the... Together, sort of. Not together, but the two of them stopped the fascist coup. Yeah. Uh, see lots of episodes of, that we've done about that. <laughs> Soon, the Sabate brothers and the rest of the noobs join the anarchist militias and go off to the front. El Kiko decided that he was going to stop cutting his hair and his beard until Spain was free of fascists. Oh, I can really get behind that. I know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know, because he's like 20 like, or whatever. It's rules. I'm just so into it. Yeah, yeah. This led to a bunch of shit where people assumed he was one of the Russians who had come to help. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So people would come up and practice their Russian on him, and he'd be like, what? <laughs> just Rasputin-looking dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because he's really cool, he stole some rich asshole's super expensive fancy sports car. <laughs> then, and he like, he, they were like, oh, we need, we need cars to get to the front, but we need to steal them from rich people. So he goes and steals this like fancy sports car. And then they're like, what are you going to do with a sports car? So he cuts the back half of it off and welds it <laughs> to a truck to make a van. <laughs> Amazing. And th- uh, this is his. What a Chad. <laughs> for the rest of the war. This is what he's cruising around in. <laughs> he holds uh, on to this thing. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't we all? Yeah. Put what a lot a, of work into hero. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is what you get when you uh, when you give people an apprenticeship at the age of 10 and a, and a rifle and, and an address of rich people. <laughs> yeah, totally. And a, act, an actually moral cause that is worth yes. fighting for. Yeah. Um, it's constant human integrity. Yeah. And he also, Beautiful. and one of the things that comes up around this time too, is that El Kiko is not bloodthirsty. He kills a bunch of people in this story, right? Mm-hmm. But right away, he's like, the enemy is fascism. 
and he is opposed to needless violence. He actually, during the war, hid some anti-fascist members of the upper class from the non-anarchist Republicans who were trying to kill them for being rich. This is the best I, I can parse out. Yeah. And basically, it's like, this is about redistributing wealth, not murdering people. And this is something that I've always been trying to explain. Like, what do you do with the billionaires? Like, well, we just need them to stop being billionaires. The, yeah. The method by the, which we do that, it's kind of up to them. Yeah, we got, yeah, they got choices. Like, yeah. There's, I was reading about a village that collectivized because they, when they mm-hmm. went, the anarchist militia columns went to the front, they collectivized the villages, right? Yeah. On their way. And uh, they were like inspecting one village or something. And because they rotated, they rotated troops out of the front line, right? So they would mm-hmm. go and work on the harvest and then come back to the front line and then go work on the harvest and come back to the front line because they didn't have enough rifles for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, where is the priest? And people were like, oh, he, he just works in the fields now with everyone else. And then like, didn't you kill him? And they were like, no, there was no need. Like he just stopped being a priest. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> he stopped working for the authority that's fucking everything up. Yeah, yeah. Now and and, and I guess the priest had married a local girl. And was like, <laughs> hell yeah! Like, I've, been, I've been looking for an out. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not everything went well during the Spanish Civil War. As the war went on, communists started trying to kill all the anarchists and kept like sending the anarchist units to like run into machine gun nests and shit which you'll be shocked to know didn't help anyone win the war and we've covered that a bunch of times on this show we probably will a bunch more times yeah but after one unit one anarchist unit suffered 80 percent casualties el kiko was like you know what fuck this guy (laughs) so he went and he shot the communist officer who had sent all the anarchists to die After leaving the asshole to die in the snow, El Kiko and three friends fucked off to Barcelona in his cool Frankenstein van. (laughs) Very stealthy once you've murdered your commander to take your, like, signature vehicle. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then he goes and he shows up to the CNT and he's like, hey, I shot the communist guy who kept murdering my friends. Can you transfer me to a different unit? I don't think that one's going to work out for me. (laughs) Amazing. But they don't transfer him to another unit. Instead, they say... Well, how about you become a super cool anarchist spec ops guy who rescues anarchists from the Cheka? The Cheka are the Russian secret police who are fucking everything up in Spain, including killing all their own people. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a good time to be a Soviet. The other Soviets no. kept murdering you. Yeah, they did like to murder. Yeah. And so El Kiko was like, well, you don't end up with a name like the guy without being willing to say, I'm your guy. That's, <laughs> that's my joke that only kind of holds up because Kiko might have yeah. also just been short for Francisco. But he did. He became a cool anarchist spec ops guy, <laughs> along with another anarchist whose name was El Absinio, which uh, more or less means the Ethiopian. <laughs> and he had that name because he had, quote, Afro type hair. I, I don't know oh, whether yeah. that means he was a black Spanish anarchist or more likely a white guy with really curly hair and an unfortunate nickname. Yeah, yeah that's bad. That's a. Uh... That, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I know a lot of people were trying to get to Ethiopia, like a lot of the black volunteers. Okay. Uh, who fought, certainly the black Americans. Like there was a, uh, one of them had a, he wrote something called, This isn't Ethiopia, but it'll do. Huh. Like they were like, well, they specifically wanted to kill Italian fascists, right? Yeah. Which many yeah. of them got the chance to do. But yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of the, the black folks who fought, it was like a kind of a rollback strategy, same as the Italians and Germans, right? Like, well, we'll beat them here and then yeah. we'll beat them. In Italy and yeah, yeah. Ethiopia and Germany and everywhere else. No, that this makes sense. Yeah, sadly, it didn't didn't work out. No, uh, for a lot of reasons, most of which mm-hmm. I think can be pointed at. 
the Western world enforcing a blockade only on the Republican side and like not enforcing yes. um, a blockade, like keep the Germans out from anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't think it helped with the Cheka went around murdering everyone on their own side. Yeah. Yeah. Killing like way more anarchists than you did fascist. Like there was a fascist fuck. What was his name? He was part of a French fascist group uh-huh. that was funded by the L'Oreal, like, um, like the because you're worth it L'Oreal right like the, the oh, shit. stuff you uh-huh. yeah yeah fascism because you're worth it uh, and like he was actively sabotaging I forget what his name was he was in a headquarters company of one of the international units and was actively sabotaging all their weapons and like they were so busy looking for fucking anarchists that, that this guy just got to take yeah. a free run at, like, yeah cool lots of people died because of it great cool thank you Soviet communists so fortunately the kid and El Absinio, uh rescue an anar- go and rescue an anarchist from Cheka hands. And that's like his first new thing now that he does this. He has a new job. And then after some nonsense in May 1937, where the Soviets tried to take the anarchist positions in Barcelona by force, um, El Kiko did some fast and furious shit and freed four anarchist prisoners while they were being transferred. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's so much fast and furious shit in this. Yeah. I thought you were going with Obama or Fast and Furious shit, you know, where you accidentally transfer thousands of uh, machine guns to cartels in Mexico. No, no. Just the... Okay. I don't even remember which one it is. uh, Where they, you know, stop a prisoner transport bus and then free their guy or whatever. So, anarchist spec ops are doing their thing. Um, A local fascist in Kiko's home village was trying to reinstate capitalism within the anarchist-held areas. He just, like, was like, hey, I'm a fascist. (laughs) like... The area is under <laughs> anarchist control. And he's like, yeah. hey, I'm like a fascist and a capitalist. Um, I'm, I've got all this stuff and you need it, so I'm going to sell it really expensive. And everyone kept being like, my guy, this isn't going to go well. You like yeah. really shouldn't do this. Um, and he was like, nah, whatever. So then El Kiko shows up, lets himself into the guy's house, and suddenly the guy isn't around anymore. <laughs> The Soviets keep doing their thing. They're fucking everything up. And soon El Kiko is in prison in the hands of a, the quote, new quote unquote revolutionary police. And the reason that he's in prison is he helped a man forge papers to get out of conscription into the Soviet run army. Okay. Yeah. And one of El Kiko's friends was actually murdered by the, the Republican police over this. El Kiko only survived because the CNT was able to get him transferred out of the hands of the Cheka, but they couldn't free him. They couldn't get him out of prison entirely. So he just accepted his fate and resigned himself to prison where he still is today. No, he he <laughs> said about to free himself because tunnels are back. It's been too oh, long yeah. since we've had a tunnel. <laughs> Love a tunnel. Oh my God, it's been so long. I know, I know. We came yeah. out strong. Tunnels, tunnels. are back. <laughs> yeah. Tunnels are back. <laughs> but this one, okay, the story, this, this part of the story is a happy ending, but the tunnel doesn't. He spends Aww. weeks digging a tunnel under his cell. And when he finally breaks free into daylight after like so many like wrong turns and like all this wild shit, mm-hmm. he's like, all right, I'm going to go back to my cell and wait until nighttime. And then I'm going to sneak out during nighttime. But they nabbed him. They figured it out before he went back out again. And Aww. so he went. He got taken to a maximum security cell. However, he was getting a ton of movement support because the anarchists were the largest chunk of the Spanish working class, and he was already kind of a hero. They just didn't have as much systemic power as the communists. So he bribes the guards to let him have conjugal visits with Leonor. His wife smuggles him a hand grenade 
and a sorry, a grenade and a handgun. A hand grenade and a gun, whatever. Yeah. Hand can be in either of those. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Now that he has those things, he sets about to escaping. Two other anarchists come with him. Some of the other prisoners chose not to come. And so they made sure, in order to keep the other prisoners from getting implicated, they were like, all right, we're going to lock you up, but just so that people don't think you were with us. And so they, like, lock up the other prisoners. They make their way to the warden's office. They're just, like, disarming and threatening everyone on their way, you know, and tying everyone up. Not hurting anyone, actually. They do this whole thing without hurting anyone. It's kind of impressive. They point a gun at the the warden and say, sign papers to say that we can go free. And the warden's like, <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, um, the other options. Yeah. And so they escaped. His two, com- nice. his two companions, they get sent back to the front or they go back to the front and they fight fascists for a while, but then they leave. So then the communists execute them. Sabate and his brother-in-law tried to walk 40 miles to safety. Um, but some guards were like, who the fuck are you? Show me your papers. And Sabate is like, if I show them my, my papers, I'm going to die. That They just killed my friends. So he's like, oh, yeah, totally. Let me get my papers out of my coat. But instead of his papers, he pulled out a gun. And instead of giving them his papers, he killed all four of them. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a universal passport right there. <laughs> yeah, totally. But they were waiting for him in Barcelona. The cops were. So a chase scene happens. This guy's fucking <laughs> life. The cops spot him at the station. So he takes off running across and through trains. Like, jump. oh, amazing. Yeah, no, like, this Hell is like, yeah. yeah. And then in order to get out, they're, they're bringing a cordon around the area, around the station. So he mm-hmm. hijacks a horse drawn carriage because petrol is oh. getting rare. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. And he, like, yeah. basically sticks a gun in the guy's side. It's like, hey, could you drive me through the police court? And the guy's like, yeah, okay. And this actually happens a lot in this guy's life where he ends up in these very civil conversations with people that he's robbing or, like, holding <laughs> up because they actually kind of, most of them like him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, well, he's not trying to hurt them or take anything from them necessarily, yeah. right? Like, at least in this case. Yeah. And in some ways, it's like the gun is almost like plausible deniability. It's like, well, you weren't in on it. I, I had a gun on you. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. It's a win-win for you. Yeah. And that's going to come up more later. So I'm not just pulling that out of nowhere. But did he leave the war just because large chunks of his own side were trying to kill him? <laughs> of course not. There were fascists to fight and a revolution to defend. So he signed up with the Darudi column, an anarchist unit. Mm-hmm. He won the Medal for Valor in a desperate struggle to hold back the fascists. All the while, at this point, the high command of the Republican army, they already fled into France. And uh, Sabaté's unit was the last to leave Barcelona as the fascists rolled through the country. Just like these low, low prices will roll through your head, or you press forward 15 seconds approximately six times. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. It's an option. Yeah. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And we're back. Okay, meanwhile, his older brother, Jose, has been leading an anarchist battalion at this point. But when the war is over, he's captured by the fascists, and he spends a while in prison. But he, he does survive the war. And then Franco came through and was like, well, I'm a fascist, and I've just taken over the country, so I'm going to be really nice to everyone. Oh, really? Win the hearts and minds uh, yeah, yeah. by mm-hmm. killing everyone. He just killed a fuck ton of people. This is a guy who at the beginning, he has like a quote that I don't have directly in front of me, but he has a quote that's something like, I am willing to murder half of Spain to rule the other half. Yeah, yeah. And he was pretty consistent on that. That wasn't a one-off kind of vibe for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was more or less his uh, defining principle, actually, his only moral stance. Yeah. Yeah, so hundreds of thousands of people were put to death. Um, mostly legally, of course, because, you know, <laughs> law matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that made it okay. That's, yeah. that's the important thing about laws is that uh, it's, it's fine. I've just spent a week on the border watching uh, like little, little children being uh, concentrated in, in, in what one might call camps in the desert. Mm. And uh, 
that was legal, so it, it's okay. It's I, just the opposite of dispersed camping. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a thing concentrated BLM camping. land. Yeah, it's good. It's easier to clean up afterwards. Um, yeah, no, high pop. I can't. Okay, that's the end of my sad jokes about that. It's fucking awful. I'm. Yeah, it's fucking horrific. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what it borders are bad. Yeah. Speaking of concentration camps, Sabaté and his family flee to France, where the fate of the anti-fascists awaited them, which is that France put them all in concentration camps. Um. Now, love that for France. This didn't have the same meaning yet. The word concentration camp. Um, it's not nice, fun times, but it yeah. it's not whatever. Yeah, it's not a death camp. Yeah, like it, it's 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 distinct from that. It's just a d- extremely shitty situation which you can't get out of. Yeah, unless you're Alkiko, in which case you can escape. Yeah, and yeah. he did. Fair enough. Yeah, but he escaped and he like spent a while like wandering the Pyrenees mountains, and then he was like. Man, fuck this. And he went back to the concentration camp. <laughs> and nice. and I, no specific reason is given for this, but then yeah. by doing more research about it. Um, one, I don't know because the biographer didn't bother to tell me what Leoner is doing at the time, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so maybe his wife is still there or maybe she came with him. Yeah. I'm not sure. And two, all of the anarchists are all in one place. So they're organizing. Nice. And he's like... Probably he's like, all right, well, I should go be where the anarchists are organizing. Yeah. And he he heads on back. And then I don't know if he knew about this like little known sequel to the Spanish Civil War. Uh, I don't know if it was the Spanish Civil War two electric boogaloo. Yeah, only it was um yeah. but you know, like each time they have to make it bigger. So this was called World War Two. Mm. Oh, okay, fascinating. What what went down in that one? Uh, a lot of stuff that I feel weird making yeah, jokes yeah. about. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The famously anti-fascist segregated United States Army came to save the day. <laughs> I loved her. <laughs> no, no, we talked about this in the Josephine Baker episode that she like refused to play. Um, she was this uh, black woman from the U.S. who became a French spy and did all this amazing shit. Um, and it, at some point she was like playing for the troops. She's one of the most famous women in the world. And she was like, I won't play for the U.S. troops while they're segregated. They better desegregate, <laughs> at least for my fucking show. Yeah. This is like Paul Robeson refusing to do a concert when he heard out that they, the purges were happening in the middle of the Spanish Civil War, uh-huh. right? And they'd, they'd one of the old Bolshevik trials of the, of the sort of old Bolsheviks was happening, and he heard about it, and he was like, this, this is fucked up. I can't, I, I can't go sing. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are they doing this? Like, That's cool. Yeah. Cool guy, Paul Robeson. So... Maybe you know this part better than I do. I have run across two mm-hmm. sources that say conflicting things, and it is a big difference. Yeah. The concentration camps were opened up, and the surviving Republicans from Spain were conscripted into mostly labor and some to go be cannon fodder. I don't know whether this was the French government before the Vichy government or whether it was the Nazi-controlled French government. So the, I guess to use like a militaristic term, military-aged men were required to conscript in the free French army. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, I've run across in, both and it confused me. Yeah. Um, I just wrote a long thing about this. Okay. Uh, they, they're called the, like, they're, so they're, they're not in the, the French, uh, well, France has a different relationship mm-hmm. to colonialism than other European powers. So, uh, like, there's a very famous unit called La Nueve, right? The people who liberated Paris, who were mostly Spanish anarchists, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to call their half-track vehicles Deruti and Ascaso, but they weren't allowed to. The, what so does that mean? Them, like, uh, so Deruti oh, and Ascaso. Oh, I didn't hear you say Deruti. Okay, sorry, yeah. 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 
relatively <laughs> notable anarchists. Uh, yeah. And uh, they had to call them like Don Quixote instead. Uh, but they, they named the other ones after <laughs> battles in Spain. Yeah. But yeah, they end up in the, the army of Chad. The army of Chad as well. But yeah. uh, Chad liked the country as well as, uh, huh. as, well as the name. Okay. Uh, the, so they were the marching regiments of Chad. Okay. So yeah, so the so Sabate and the other anarchists, they're basically being told like, yeah, go fight at the front or a lot of them were conscripted to do labor and build factories and shit. Yeah. Um, and so Sabate wound up building, helping build a gunpowder factory, which turns out useful later. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> just great. Yeah. It's very serendipitous. Yeah. France didn't last too long in World War II. So soon he's in hiding and having a kid. His daughter, Paquita, <laughs> is born in 1941. The only one of his Beautiful. children that at least the biographer I read was able to provide me the information about. <laughs> and he joins the French resistance with the Spanish Maquis. Um, yep. Who are the Spanish Maquis, you might ask? Well, you wouldn't ask. You probably know books worth of information about them <laughs> that I will probably try and convince you to tell me at some point soon. <laughs> but to tell the audience real quick, yeah. I'm glad you asked. Maquis <laughs> is the Corsican. Corsica is a small island in the Mediterranean that France pretends is French. And the Corsican word for the shrubby woods on the Mediterranean is, is, is Maquis, basically. And so it's like saying the bush. So the fighters are retreating into the bush. And kind of in the same way that the Irish um, were like the bog soldiers or whatever. And that's where that shit. The name of your right wing people in the UK, yours, if you live in the UK. The tor- Yeah. The Tories, the conservative. Yeah, right. The conservative and Isn't it the Tory party? I'm going to get this completely embarrassingly wrong. Isn't mm-hmm. that the word yeah. that comes from the Irish bog fighters? It, it, yeah, it comes, I believe it does come from, uh, yeah, it's a reference to yeah. something from Ireland. I can't remember what. I believe it's yeah. the, the, the Irish radicals who were fighting against Cromwell um, when Cromwell oh, yeah, tried to genocide yeah, yeah, Ireland. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I just Your forgot the word Tory. Um, so the Spanish Maquis are the Spanish ones of these guerrilla fighters, thus the name, the Spanish Maquis. Yeah. And these are the name that the Spanish guerrillas who keep up the fight against fascism, including most directly in France during the Nazi occupation, but also the Spanish occupation, which no longer is yeah. being called an occupation, even though it's still literally someone invaded and took over Spain and declared yeah. a fascist. They might be more familiar to the modern audience as the guerrilla fighters in Pan's Labyrinth. Since oh, yeah. that movie's set in 1944, uh, and I think the McKee and Pan's Labyrinth were anarchists, but it is worth noting that the McKee were of all sorts of different politics. Um, mm-hmm. Communists and monarchists were involved in some of this stuff. In Madrid, apparently, it was mostly communists, and Barcelona is mostly anarchists, at least according to one particular source. Every source about all of this stuff is really biased, either communist or anarchist, <laughs> yeah. and wants to completely write the other one out of history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's great. The source that I read was more biased in the communist direction about this particular part mm-hmm. of the Maquis. Before the Spanish Maquis got back into Spain, while they're in France, they fuck shit up against the Nazis. Uh, 10,000 oh, yeah. of them fought. And that's not the focus of this particular episode. But to quote a 1945 book, The Undefeated by Martha Gellhorn. 
During the German occupation of France, the Spanish Maquis engineered more than 400 railway sabotages, destroyed 58 locomotives, dynamited 35 railway bridges, cut 150 <laughs> telephone lines, attacked 20 factories, destroying some factories totally, and sabotaged 15 coal mines. They took several thousand German prisoners, and most miraculous considering their arms, they captured three tanks. In the southwest part, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, what the fuck are they doing with them afterwards? <laughs> In the southwest part of France, where no allied armies have ever fought, they liberated more than 17 towns. Um, Hell yeah. So they're fucking cool. And then, we actually don't really know what Al Kiko was up to personally during all this period, besides the fact that he was fighting the Nazis. And we also know that the gunpowder factory that he built in December 1942 suddenly blew up. <laughs> yeah, some dots that will never be joined. And someone who was caught for it had a photo in his pocket of a group that included him. And this is, <laughs> yeah. this comes up a bunch that they keep catching people with like photos of their friends in their pockets. And I like, don't get me wrong. I like that I can look pictures of my friends by pulling something out of my pocket that is my phone. But I'm also not in the yeah. middle of a guerrilla war. Yeah, upstake fail yeah. on their part. Um, wow. Meanwhile, El Kiko has set himself up as a plumber in a small town with his wife and daughter and immediately starts guiding French refugees across the border into Spain. Like, this is before. He's going to do the opposite a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And all the while, our straight-edge hero does not drink or smoke. Uh, there's a long history, a kind of weird history of anarchists being either sober or vegetarian or both. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I have no evidence about him being vegetarian, but he was sober. He's, yeah, they were definitely, they were like, they were, at, they were like anarchist Atheniums is the English word, mm -hmm. where like they, they, would, they were very committed to ongoing education. And part of that was health education. The anarchists were really early on in like healthy diet and exercise as a way to combat like the uh, ills of modernity and factory labor. I mean, so, makes sense. Yeah, they, they were not yeah. wrong. They were yeah, they were very right. They, like they would get people down from Switzerland to talk about like Swiss gymnastics and shit. It's wild. Hell yeah, that's cool. And yeah, you can still find good anarchist vegan food in Barcelona. Hell yeah. So after the war. The Spanish anarchists in France had a big meeting. Uh, they managed to sort of get over a lot of their differences because joining the Republican government had been really divisive among the anarchists. But they had a meeting and they were like, all right, we should probably just get together, stop fighting and go fuck up Franco, shouldn't we? And they were like, yeah, yeah. that's what we should do. But they wanted to send some, uh, some delegates down into Spain to talk with all of the anarchists who were still holed up in the mountains and stuff. Because a lot of anarchists never left, right? In 1939, right. a lot of anarchists just took to the mountains and fucking lived there. And that's kind of our pants labyrinth heroes. They needed some super cool elite spec op anarchists to guide some delegates into France. Why not turn to El Kiko and El Absinio, as well as El Rosette, which literally means the Rosette. It's just spelled different. They all had cool names. Giving yourself a cool name with your friends is cool and good. So El Kiko and his friends just went right back to doing what they do. They meet up with the anarchists in Barcelona. They learn which fascists have killed which anarchists. Uh, they set about raising the money to fight back. And can you guess how they set about raising the money to fight to start a guerrilla <laughs> war against the fascists? 
Uh, did they? I, I did they set up a GoFundMe. Yeah, it was like a combination of like yeah. GoFundMe's and then like a couple like uh, benefit shows. Um, <laughs> yeah, they did a punk gig yeah. in someone's basement. Yeah, and-, and then they robbed rich people. Most of it actually came from the robbery. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. No, yeah, no, not the punk gig with a vegan meal before. No, weirdly, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, no, strange. Yeah, one time they robbed a guy in his house and they left him a note. We are not robbers. We are libertarian resistance fighters. What we have just taken will help in a small way to feed the orphaned and starving children of those anti-fascists that you and your kind have shot. We are people who have never and will never beg for what is ours. So long as we have the strength to do to do so, we will fight for the freedom of the Spanish working class. As for you, Gariga, that's the guy's name, although you are a murderer and a thief, we have spared you because we as libertarians appreciate the value of human life something which you have never, nor are likely to, understand. That's phenomenal. We were talking about cringe email signature quotes before, but if you could just put that one in the email signature. totally. (laughs) That would let people know you weren't fucking around. Yeah, we are people who have never and will never beg for what is ours. So long as we have the strength to do so, we will fight for the freedom of the Spanish working class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, phenomenally based. Yeah. And so if you're curious... How do you become a folk hero the fastest way? If you're trying to like speed run folk hero, Robin Hood. This is how you speed run. People fucking loved these people now. Not the fascists. The fascists didn't like them very much. Um, But Mm. regular people. He didn't hide his identity. He was robbing people in his hometown where everyone knew him. (laughs) He mostly rolled up and said, Soy el Kiko. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am El Kiko and people would be like oh shit I give up yeah, yeah, yeah um, I know how this ends which is a really good reason to have a reputation for not hurting the people you rob because mm-hmm. um, if you have a reputation for not hurting the people you rob then there's no reason to fight back right you're just going to give them some stuff and then they're going to leave yeah and like he's also very clearly capable of killing people, oh, so yeah. like you don't you don't want to create create any stress for him. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so like, and this is the story of of one guy. He's absolutely one of many. He's not Robin Hood. He's one of he's one of the merry men with no Robin Hood to speak of. Apparently, his friends don't clap when he gives speeches. They are all Robin Hoods. For the sake of brevity and narrative, I'm leaving out an endless string of heroic people who fought Franco. But this man, he's just getting started. Like, literally, this is the preamble to the stuff he's famous for. We have not gotten to what he's famous for (laughs) yet. He is not famous for, let's see, escaping prison twice, killing four cops who tried to arrest him, fighting against the Nazis for years, fixing people's toilets, stopping a fascist coup, maybe twice, fighting on the last unit to flee Barcelona. Now he's famous for what comes next, which we'll talk about on Wednesday. That's my best cliffhanger I think I've ever done. Yeah, that was bang. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You're fucking yeah. nailed. I know it. you all aren't going to yeah. clap, but you know, I just. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be guilty of legalism. Snaps. Leaderism. Yeah. Snaps for Magpie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we show our support by being. Here. Yeah, that's right. And if people want to show support for you, James, and what you do, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to plug. Yeah, I mean, they can participate in mutual aid. Uh, that would be very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would make that make me happy. Uh, they can be nice to animals. That would make me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if when they've done those things, mm-hmm. uh, then they're allowed to follow me on Twitter.com. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, not, but if you have to submit like a, a couple of photos. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get like, get a selfie where you're like, uh, like, you know, battery chickens, right? They don't want to be there. Take a selfie with you, let them run free, and you can follow me. It's at James Stout. Don't do crimes. No, only legal crimes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Or like in times of war, then, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. 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 Until then, keep it legal. Yeah. But be nice to animals. Yeah. Feed a bird. Feed a fucking bird that's just flying around. Just give it some feed and then then you can follow me. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the thing I want to plug is that if you like mutual aid and revolution, but you kind of sometimes prefer to just sit around with your friends and imagine it at a table rolling dice, then I'm working on a right. role-playing game called Penumbra City that as of yeah. right now, maybe not when you're listening to it, but when it's being released, is being kickstarted. And it's called Penumbra City. And if you Google oh, yeah. Penumbra City Kickstarter, you'll find it. And mm-hmm. it's about gangs and the occult and fighting the immortal god king and there's no money in it. And it's Amazing. probably good. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. I am writing a book. I should have mentioned that, shouldn't I? Oh. Uh, if you like anarchists killing people, then I am writing a book about anarchists at war with AK Press. Uh, and It will be out when I finished writing it. And then they finish editing it. And when I have been to some different places where anarchists are currently engaged in uh, conflicts against fascism in the state. Hell yeah. And uh, we're excited to tell you that very soon or currently, depending on when you're listening to this, all Cool Zone Media shows will be available 100% ad free through the Cooler Zone Media subscription available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Woo! Absolutely professional. Thank you so much. Wednesday. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.